Good morning. It'll be good to keep your Bibles open uh, as we look at this passage together. Let me pray as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that we understand it clearly and apply it faithfully, that we might be confident of the freedom we have in Christ and generous in how we use that freedom. Amen. How does God want us to relate to him? Uh, It's an important question and and it's an important answer. Uh, There's a lot at stake in the answer to that question because it has an impact on every waking day of our life as Christians and it has implications for our eternal future. Uh, And it's more than just a question of compliance. You know, what does God want so I can get over the line? Uh, It's more of a a relational question. Uh, Who is God? Who are we before God? And if we love God, then, well, how do we honour him uh, with our lives? Uh, Thankfully, God doesn't leave us guessing. Uh, So he's revealed himself in in a whole bunch of different ways throughout history. Uh, Most significantly, uh, in the life, death and resurrection of his son. Uh, But he also inspired people to write down his word. Uh, to declare what they have seen and heard and experienced. But as we seek to listen to God's word, it's a little bit like you know, walking on a ridge. And so we want to be obedient to God's word, so that's sort of walking a- along the top. Uh, but we don't want to fall off one side into, obedi- into disobedience. But at the same time, we don't want to fall off the other side into what we call legalism. Uh, And legalism is where we start to add to the Bible more than what is there or than what God expects of us. Uh, So, for example, uh, the Bible says uh, Christians should gather with other Christians. Uh, So that's a matter of obedience. Uh, But when we, we turn it into legalism, when we say, no, Christians must gather with other Christians on Saturday because that's what the Old Testament says. Uh, The commandment was true for Israel, uh, but as Christians, we are followers of Christ and followers of the Lordship of Christ. Uh, The Bible says we should give generously uh, to support gospel ministry. That's obedience. Uh, But we turn that into legalism when we say it must be, you know, pre-tax 10% and include 10% of super and any mint or basil that you grow in your garden. Let's not underestimate how much mint and basil you can grow. (laughs) So today uh, we're going to look at three themes. Uh, We're going to look at legalism, uh, we're going to look at obedience, and what it means to sacrifice our freedom for the sake of the other. Uh, so they're the themes. Uh, the points are slightly different. They'll, they'll come up on the, on the screen, but we'll work through those themes as we look at this passage. Uh, so for those who need a, a quick refresher uh, on the plot so far, uh, almost every week uh, someone has stood up and quoted uh, Acts 1.8. And it's kind of all, almost, you know, the, the big plan of this whole book. Okay, so if you're a regular with us, okay, if you're a guest, you, you can just ignore, you know, just watch people around you. Okay, for those who are with us, 
Okay, so you're going to fill in the blanks. Okay, don't, don't leave me disappointed or hanging up here. All right. So, okay, let's see how we go. You've got to say it with gusto. You know, uh, if you're going to be wrong, be wrong with conviction. <laughs> okay, but you will receive when the Holy Spirit. comes on you and you will be my Witnesses. in Jerusalem. and in all Judea. and and to the... Oh, well done. So, actually, I did that with uh, 6pm last night and I got it all wrong. It was quite... It was a bit of a comedy of errors. Uh, but, but that does sort of set the big direction of the book, that, that God has a plan to gather people from all nations and he is fulfilling that plan through his disciples, apostles and believers. Uh, and we've seen those words, you know, fulfilled in astounding ways. We're almost halfway or just halfway through the book of Acts so far. Uh, God is sending people out to proclaim his word and God's spirit goes before them preparing the way. And so as they talk about who Jesus is, people are recognising Jesus is the son of God. Uh, they need to repent and follow him. And so literally thousands of people have been saved. Uh, but there's been a few times along the way uh, when we thought it, it looked like it was all over. Yeah, and so right back at the beginning when Peter and John were arrested, it looked like it was going to be all over before it even began. Uh, it looked like it might be over when Stephen was stoned to death and the Christians in Jerusalem were scattered. Uh, and when a zealous Pharisee by the name of Saul... Uh, went on a mission to arrest Christian heretics uh, who were infiltrating local synagogues. And now we see this moment where this again is all at risk, where this great movement of God looks like it might be fragmented and destroyed, uh, not by powerful political forces uh, or religious forces or persecution, but from within as believers start arguing with believers. And as the saying goes, a house divided cannot stand. Uh, and this division is around two questions. Can Gentiles be saved? And how can they be saved? Uh, so the word Gentile simply means someone who is not Jewish. Uh, and it comes from the Hebrew word uh, of the, the nations. Uh, and so this dispute about Gentiles uh, started in the very significant city of Antioch, which we've already read about in previous chapters. And so Acts 15, 1 and 2 says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And the stakes in this dispute are so high uh, that Barnabas and Saul are sent off uh, on behalf of the church in Antioch uh, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders uh, to hear their wisdom and to get a verdict from them. Uh, and even as they go to Jerusalem, I think somewhat ironically, you know, they're, they're sharing with people as they go how all these Gentiles are, are you know, coming to faith and following Jesus uh, as they head to Jerusalem to debate whether they can. Uh, but as they get there, uh, the issue is then put before uh, the council. 
And so uh, there's an opportunity for uh, some of the, the group, the believers from within the Pharisee group, to stand up and state their case. So some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So this has been a big issue right from the beginning of Acts. Earlier in the book of Acts, uh, we saw how Peter needed to be convinced in a vision uh, that the Gentiles could be included, that this really was about every nation. Uh, And as a result of that vision, he goes and meets with a man, a Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius. And he says, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And then a bit later in the same account, you know, Luke recalls the reaction of, of the Christians who are with Peter. Uh, so they go on to say, uh, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Uh, in many respects, they, they should have known that the Gentiles would be included. Uh, It was right there back in the beginning, all the way back in early uh, Genesis. Uh, But here's another example from the book of Micah. Uh, Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So for many people, including Jewish people, There there was always a means for Gentiles to be saved, but it was through becoming Jewish. And so the expectation now for many was that you needed to be Jewish following the Old Testament law and be circumcised as part of the Old Testament law and follow Jesus. But now we're discovering that, you know, riffraff, from just any old nation, can turn up and be saved by Jesus. And you don't even need to get the snip. I mean, this is just outrageous. Uh, But but for the the earliest Christians and and, and for for the Jewish people, uh, this was just inconceivable. And so the matter comes before the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church for consideration. And they listen to the concerns of these believers And then they adjourn to consider a verdict. And so Luke then outlines how they come to the decision they make. So they listen to the experience of Peter, who God had sent to Cornelius and his household. So verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And they listen to the wisdom of Peter, as he recognises on one hand the burden of the law, And on the other hand, God's salvation by grace. So verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? So Peter is not saying here, you know what? The Old Testament law is just way too hard. I mean, fair dinkum. Uh, So why don't we just lower the bar and make it that much easier. We'll just change the rules so we can all achieve it and it's a bit more realistic. Uh, That is not what he is saying. 
Peter is looking at the situation and he, he goes, the Old Testament was never an end in itself. It was always part of God's bigger plan. So the Old Testament was there and the law was there to help society function. Uh, It showed people the holiness of God and it exposed the sinfulness of God's people. But the law always looked forward to another way, a more complete way that has now been revealed in Christ. And so it's not just that the law is too hard, so let's give up. It's that actually the law is too hard It was always going to be too hard and God was always going to provide another way. And that way was going to be the Messiah, who is Jesus. So verse 11, no, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they were. So grace lifts the burden of always trying to be good enough and earning our salvation, and it frees us from the fear of failure. Now, imagine uh, you're married to someone who you absolutely adore, uh, and you desperately want this marriage to work, but you are just petrified that one wrong move is giving me the end of it all. You know, gluggy rice, that's it, divorce. You know, I mean, don't even get me started about, you know, leaving clothes, you know, dirty clothes in the bedroom. I mean, you know, that's just a gimme. Uh, But, you know, imagine living under that type of, you know, sense of fear and trepidation. Uh, God doesn't do that to us as his people. Uh, He he doesn't sort of hang that threat over us, you know, like sort of an executioner's axe, and we're just waiting for it to drop. As we come to Christ, uh, it's like entering a marriage where God says, I will always love you and I will never divorce you. Uh, It's not an invitation to sin or to be complacent about sin, as if it doesn't matter. But when we do sin, uh, when we recognise sin and repent, we can be confident that there will also be forgiveness. Uh, If we hang in there with God, God will hang in there with us. But it's actually even better than that. Because if we have God's spirit, then actually God helps us hang in there with him. So it's God's grace that saves and it's God's grace that keeps us in our salvation. And so Peter's testimony uh, affirms the experience of Barnabas and Paul, uh, who now go on to tell about the signs and the wonders that they have seen as they've shared the gospel with the Gentiles. And then uh, we have the Apostle James, Uh, who appears to have become the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he tests what he's hearing against Scripture. Uh, What does the Bible actually say about all of this? What does God's Word have to say about it? Uh, Do we need Jesus plus obedience to the law and circumcision, or is it Jesus alone? And so James points people to the meaning of Amos chapter 9. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I'll rebuild, I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. 
So they've witnessed God working amongst the Gentiles and the scriptures testify to the inclusion of the Gentiles. And so now James finds in favour of the Gentiles being accepted and being accepted apart from the law. Jesus saves, not circumcision, not the law. And so he concludes, let's not make things difficult by adding to the grace that God has already offered. Uh, And if we read ahead, the decision is supported. So verse 22, by the apostles and the elders and the whole church. And a letter is sent to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. So this issue had the potential to fragment the whole church. Uh, But instead, we're seeing the opposite. Jews and Gentiles coming together, recognising that they've all been saved by the same sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And they are united in their fellowship as they follow Jesus as the Christ. Uh, This really is quite an incredible defining moment for the church. Uh, And it's incredibly significant for us as we gather together and think about, well, how do we engage with the scriptures? How should we understand them? Uh, So not just how do we find a a verse that we like uh, that, that sort of builds an argument for our particular case, but how do we understand each verse in its context and in its place in God's plan? Uh, And God has a plan that's been unfolding since the beginning. Uh, But that's not quite the end of the matter, because these Gentile Christians have to live in fellowship with these Jewish Christians. And so there's some big cultural differences. And these Gentile Christians still want other Jewish people to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And so even though they're not under the law they shouldn't use their freedom to cause others to stumble. Uh, So verse 19 and 20. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who have turned to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. So all of these things were prohibited uh, under the law of Moses, uh, but they were a normal part of Gentile life. And in particular, they all had a connection with their, their temple, you know, their pagan temple worship. Uh, sexual immorality is a little bit different. Uh, it was often part of you know, that pagan temple worship. Uh, but the Bible also teaches us that, that sex and you know, sexual behaviour is for marriage. Uh, so where one man is committed to one woman exclusively for life. And so this isn't just, in the case of sexual immorality, an issue of stumbling. Uh, it is also an issue of right and wrong and obedience. Uh, But for the other three, it's really about how we use our freedom. That while these people are not under the law, these Gentile Christians, they've been asked to abstain from these things for the sake of other people. And so we see this verdict in practice in 1 Corinthians 10. So Paul's urging the Christians uh, to refrain from eating meat that might have been sacrificed to idols and then uh, sold in the marketplace afterwards or served as as part of a meal and and hospitality. Uh, And his message to them is uh, refrain from eating, choose not to eat, uh, not because it's morally wrong, 
but because people are observing you and they're observing your freedoms and how you live out your faith. And so Paul concludes, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am seeking not my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So when we think about our own freedoms, uh, we can't just think in terms of what is right and wrong. Uh, We also have to think in terms of how do my choices impact others. Uh, So as an example, I'm free to go and buy whatever car I can afford. Uh, But if I go out and buy a a really expensive, flashy car then I have little doubt that it will cause some people to stumble. Uh, For some, it will look like I'm exploiting my position for personal advantage. Uh, It'll look like greed. It will look like vanity. Uh, It will look, uh, for some in our community, just completely out of step with their experience of life. Uh, And most of the time, our actions have to stand without explanation. So even if we think our choices are reasonable, Often we don't get to sit down and explain why we think they're reasonable. It's just simply what is perceived. So we need to think about not just what am I free to do and what can I afford to do, but also how my freedom impacts others. Uh, But I should also say, if you're on the other side, uh, if you're observing someone else's choices, then can I encourage us to start with the generous assumption that as a Christian person, they are making decisions with godliness in mind. Uh, And if we're not careful, we'll end up falling into our own sin by becoming legalistic and judgmental and self-righteous, which is just the, the, the irony of legalism, isn't it? That as we point out someone else's sin, we completely ignore our own. And if we do feel that someone else's choices are unwise or ungodly, then we talk to them privately and we approach them humbly as one person desiring godliness for themselves and desiring godliness for the other. So let's bring it all together. Uh, We are saved by grace, but we live in obedience to Christ. Uh, And we need to reject legalism, which seeks to impose rules and practices that go beyond obedience and beyond what God expects of his people. And that really does take wisdom, doesn't it? You know, we need to wrestle with God's word together. We need to do it prayerfully. Uh, We need to learn from one another and we need to challenge one another uh, so that we might understand what God wants for us clearly. But in our rejection of legalism, we've also got to be careful not to go to the other extreme, where we say it's all about my freedom and my rights. And if you've got a problem with me expressing my freedom in Christ, well, actually, that's your problem. No, actually, as Christians, it is our problem. Uh, That our choices impact others, and therefore we need to make our choices with other people in mind. That's completely different to our cultural expectation. Our culture wants to talk about rights. We want to talk about how we give up our rights for the sake of pointing people to Christ. So we want to remove every obstacle for people coming to Christ. 
And so we choose to forsake our freedom for the sake of Christ and for his glory. Amen.